0: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Kathy, when she was preparing these charts for me, I asked her to uh, change the title to instead of God Loves Me to God Loves You. First of all, because I know he loves me. And what I'd like to do is tell you why he loves you. And so that's, that's the uh, subject that I've chosen this morning, and really, I'm not going to be talking about uh, His expression of love, which was at the cross, we know that. What I want to do is tell you why He loves you, you know, it, and we, we uh, have to ask that question. First of all... It's very easy for us to recognize from the Bible, and that's where we're talking. We're talking about what the Bible tells us because we believe this is the everlasting Word of God. We know that the Bible tells us that God is love. That's His nature. 1 John chapter 4 and at verse 8. And we understand that statement is beyond us. None of us our love. We're not. I'm not love. You're not love. We're not hate. Actually, so forth. But this text says that God is love. That's who He is, and that He loves you. And the first thing I'm going to suggest to you is why. And of course, I've asked that my, myself that question all along. Why does God love me? Amen. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why does He love me? What does He even care about me? Why does He care about me? And that's that's the, the question I want to address and the answers I want to see if I can provide. First of all, God loves you because He created you. Because you are, in fact, His creation. The first book in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, tells us about the creation of God. He created the world and everything in it in six days and then on the seventh day he rested and I think we're, most of us are familiar with that after each day of creation he uh, created light separated it from, from darkness he set the sun the moon and the stars and the heavens he separated the, the waters from the dry land on earth and so forth after everything that he did every creation every act he said the Bible says he said he said It's good. It's good. But after He created man, you know what He said? Very very good. Very good. Or good good. (laughs) I think that's what what Carl said. It's very good. So when He created you, and I'm talking about you, in the the possessive sense, the inclusive sense, I'm talking about all of humanity, but specifically, I, I would rather you think about yourself, not all of humanity... Just yourself. When he created you, he said, that's good. I like that. I am pleased with you and how I created you. He declared that it was very good. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And we acknowledge, or should should acknowledge, that we are created. Unless we believe, and this is one of the most foolish things that mankind has ever ventured on, to teach evolution, the theory of evolution. That the world actually created itself. That's the, that's the, that's the conclusion of the theory of evolution. That the world is self-created. Everything that you see created itself. And that you created yourself. And long as you came along, you made choices which were to your advantage until finally you reached the point where you are right now. That, that's foolish thinking. And it's very easy to show that it's simply a theory. But we're not going to deal with that right now. What let's do is, let's, let's deal with what the Bible says. We acknowledge that God created you. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 and 2, God said, I made the earth and created man. That's what He said. I believe that. Someone says, well, maybe I don't believe that God did it. That it just, it just worked out the way it did. But the Bible says, God said, I created man and he created you for his pleasure. Get that? You are his pleasure. In uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and for your pleasure, They are and were created for His pleasure. You please God. When He created you, you please Him. Now, it does not say that God is in love with a tree. Not that He's in love with a rock, in love with the sun and the moon. But it does say that He loves you. Why? Because you are His special creation. You are special. You are something that is different than every, everything else in the creation. Now I've got a picture of man up here and I, I look through the internet and looked and looked and see if I could find some illustration of you. And that's the best I could do, I guess. It's not your fault. It's my it's my lack of, of research. But in Psalms 139 verse 14, David said, I will praise you For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what? You are spectacular. Did you know that? You really are spectacular. You are amazing. You're astounding. You defy description. Your body's physical components... Overwhelm our comprehension. Men spend their lifetime studying your physiology, trying to figure out what makes you work, and all the components in your body. Higher institutions are designed for that purpose. We have we have developed as a as a community of a society of mankind. We have developed tools to look at your body. Specifically to see how you work and, and what the wonders are in your body and we're still discovering things in your body that we didn't know about before. That's amazing, isn't it? God created you as an amazing individual. Just your physical parts. You've been studied for centuries and you'll be studied for centuries to come. Yet you continue to... Uh, Demonstrate unplumbed depths of wisdom and understanding and of knowledge just in your component parts and magical mysteries that make up the Bible. But just think of what kind of a creation you are and and how you are in relation to a, a physical, mechanical contraption. Let's just call it a contraption. People make things. We make things, don't we? We don't create anything. We've never created anything. You can't create a thing. But you can discover something that's already here that God made. And you can manipulate things. And you can make things. And you can invent things. But you can't create anything. You cannot create a thing. We did not create ourselves. God created us. The physical aspects that we have are shared with all other lower animal types, creatures. But we, you, go beyond that of the lower animal kingdom. Just think of what sort of creation you are. You're able to sustain yourself. If you were to create an engine that would sustain itself, you'd be a marvel. If that engine could just go out and take care of itself and not have to be bothered with anything else and just maintain its its own uh, needs, that would be what we would think about when, when we think about God's creation. It, it can fuel itself. Your body can fuel itself. You can keep yourself in excellent repair. You can provide for your own comfort needs. You say, well, all animals can do that. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that you, as the special creation of God, you know how to make clothes to keep yourself warm. You know how to make clothes to cool yourself when you're too hot. You know how to protect yourself from the environment. All of these things because you have been created by God and you are the apex. You are the top of God's creation. And you can imagine how you can solve problems. You not only solve your own problems, you solve problems that are in the future. You can see in the future. And you can solve problems for your offspring. Animals can't do that, obviously. But you can. You can calculate you can manipulate. You can imagine. You can you can recall, and you can build on those recollections. All I'm saying basically is that you are a wonderful, wonderful creation, and that's why God loves you, because you are marvelous. You are marvelous. Now I'm, I'm going to give you some illustrations uh, to try to get get the idea of why you think you would be the apex of God's creation. I'll give you some illustrations of people who have created different things or have invented different things and how they feel about their inventions. If you've invented something, you're going to be very attached to what you invented, aren't you? For instance, the steamboat was invented by a couple of fellows, at least it came into production. John Fitch in 1769 and Robert Fulton in 1802. They claimed that as their invention. And look what it did to to revolutionize society. Put us into a mechanical age. The cotton gin was developed, invented by Eli Whitney in 1793 or 94, and that simply separates the seeds and the husk from the cotton, from the fiber. But it revolutionized that industry. That was his invention. And he claimed it, and he loved it. As a matter of fact, all these fellows that that invented things demanded that they were their invention, and they loved their invention. It was theirs. The telegraph was, was basically not invented by, but was developed by a fellow by the name of Samuel Morse, who developed the Morse code, who devised a system by which you could transmit information from a remote place to another remote place, by a wire, and so we say that's his invention. The airplane, we think about the Wright brothers and Curtis, and all of these inventions that we see during during the course of human history were invented with a lot of controversy, because everybody claims it was theirs. Why would they claim that? Why would you claim something as your invention? if somebody else invented it. And why would you even be concerned about that? Because it is your invention. It's what you did. The computer was invented by a fellow by the name of Thomas Babbage, 1830s. His computer was 11 feet long, 7 feet tall, and it weighed 3.6 tons, and it had 8,000 moving parts in it. And that's something that we wouldn't call that a laptop, would we? Anyway, the internet—some may think that Al Gore invented it, but he didn't. It was a product of our Defense Department, and that started basically started back in the 1960s. All of these inventions were claimed by people who loved their work and what they accomplished. You, however, are the apex of God's creation. You're the guy that did it. You're the guy that made those inventions. You're the one. You say, well, I didn't do that. No, but you, as God's creation, had the ability to do that. You see what I'm getting at? You are the creation of God that could make such an invention. What a wonderful, wonderful creation. You're the apex. You're the top. You are everything that's fabulous in His design. We know that human beings control everything. We are made in the image of God, we're told in, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And in Genesis chapter 1, we are in the image of God. Now, we're the only ones in the image of God. The elephant is not in the image of God. And the monkey's not in the image of God. And the whale is not in the image of God, and the puppy is not in the image of God, nor is the kitty cat in the image of God. You are created in God's image. Now that's why he loves you. You are in his image. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says this, the statement is made in in the, the book of, let's see if I can remember... I think it's I think it's in uh, Psalms chapter eighty two at verse six, where the Bible says, "I have said you are gods." And then Jesus again mentioned this; he referred to it again in the book of John chapter ten and verse thirty four. Now, why would he say that you are gods? Because my friend, you are created in the image of God. That's why he loves you. You are a creation above all other creations. Now, let me tell you something. God does not say that He loves the animal. God says He loves you. Jesus did not die for the animal kingdom or for the physical kingdom. He died for you. Why? Because God loves you. You are His invention. You are His apex. You are the top of what He did. Now there's another reason why God loves you. And that is because you're his child. We can understand that, can't we? We are his child. We are his children. He said, "I have said," and that's the that's the text in Psalms chapter 82 at verse 6. When he said, "You are gods," he said, "You are the children of the Most High." So, in Matthew chapter 19 verse 14, Jesus was talking to people, and he said, when they asked the question, they said, uh, they, they asked the question about the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus took a small child, and he said, of such, when he looked at the child, he said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. We can usually understand that if the child is a good child, then the parent will love the good child, can't we? So when we're talking about why God loves you, somebody says, "Well, He loves me because I'm doing His will." That's true, but He loved you before that. That's the problem, isn't it? It's easy to love the good child. It's easy to love the little guy that behaves. Isn't that correct? It's easy to love the one that is not spoiled. It's e- and it's as a matter of fact, we have to admit it. It doesn't make any difference how much of a brat the kid is; the parents love it. Not correct? It doesn't make any difference what the kid does; the parents still love that baby. The baby can squall and throw fits, so forth. And part of this is because of what we do and how we bring them up. But still, as the child gets older, becomes a rascal, and starts giving us problems, and is undisciplined. The child that is determined to act badly and to disobey the wishes of the parents and the society and the community and the government, that child is a is a bad bad seed. And that child continues to bring disrepute upon the parent. Really does. Reflects badly upon the parents. And so the child can can become a, a, a harm to the society. And the child can can become disrespectful for the property of others. And for the life of others and for the safety of others. So the child can actually become a criminal. And guess what? Some old mother somewhere is going to be sitting in a rocking chair and saying, My baby is a good baby. Why? Because the parent loves the child irrespective of the child's behavior. Now that's that's something that 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 uh, if you're a good parent now if you're not a good parent that's not going to happen you're going to you're going to cast them out you're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater that child becomes an irritant in the in the eyes of, of society of of decent folks uh, he becomes a financial the child becomes a financial emotional burden to to parents and to the society we can become all of that and you know what the Bible says that we should love our enemies, and uh, in Matthew chapter five verse sixteen this is a very a very important text five forty six I mean it's a very important text because it says, Love your enemies as God loved us so he said, if you love those that love you what do what reward do you have? you don't do any more than the publicans he says. But we should be perfect as our Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Which means that He loves you. It doesn't mean doesn't doesn't make any difference if you are a criminal. He loves you. Boy, that that blows me away. Why would God love me when I'm such a disrespectful clod and I've done so many horrible things and I've joined gangs and I've taken drugs and I've. I've uh, abused my body and I've abused those people around me. Why does God still care about me? But it tells me in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commends His love toward us in the while we're yet sinners. While we're yet sinners, God, or Jesus, died for us. Why? Because you are His offspring. You're a child. You're a kid. You're one of these. And you know what? Parents, when they raise a bad ki- bad kid, and even when they raise a good one, good parents will look back and think about their kids this way. They'll see their children as they were young and sweet and pure and innocent. And that's how God sees you and that's why He loves you. It doesn't mean that He approves of what you're doing, but it does mean that He loves you anyway. He loves those who loves him back that's for sure and it says in one John chapter 4 verse 16 we have known and believed the love that God has for us God is love and he that dwells in him dwells in God and God in him so it's better if we do his will but regardless of that he loves you anyway and, and if you ask yourself why does he love me ask it because I am his baby I'm his child. You are his child. That's why he loves you. That's it. Not because you're good, not because you did everything you should have, but because you are his child. That's why he loves you. When we, when we begin to think about this, we think about it in terms of why doesn't God just wipe the earth clean of bad people? Because Second Peter chapter three at verse nine says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. God does not want you to be lost. Why? Because he loves you. And for some reason, you say, Why? Because you're his baby. You're his child. That's why he loves you. And that's why He's waiting for you to come around. That's why He's waiting for you to get right. He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Luke 15 is an illustration that most of us remember. Prodigal boy, prodigal son, came to his dad and he said, I want everything that that you owe me, Pop. Give me everything that you owe me. And so the father... As an indulgent father does, gave him everything that belonged to him. So, what did the son do? What most kids do. He took off. I'm out on my own. Bought him a new car. Well, no, he was, this wasn't then. But he would have. He would have bought him a fast one if he had been lived in our times. Well, he went off to a far country. And it says he spent his money in riotous living. All the money a daddy gave him, spent it. And then found himself wallowing around like a lot of people do when they get off in that sort of situation with a bad crowd. So finally he ended up in a hog trough trying to eat hog food. He said, oh He said, my father's got servants better than this, so I'm going to go home. You know, that's not the story. You know what the story is? The father waited him out. And when he came home, the father claimed him. Put a robe on his shoulder and made a big feast for him said, Welcome home, son. Why? Because that was his boy. He loved him. That was his child. And when you decide you're going to come home, that's exactly how the father is going to treat you. One other thing. See that? I don't know whether that's a man or a woman. But I know they're in a rest home somewhere, or at home in a little shack, looking out the window, waiting, waiting for the kids to come by, show up. Somebody come by and visit them, take care of them. But that happens, doesn't it? As you get older, as you, as you age, you reach the point where you become dispensable. You're of no no service to society. You don't contribute anything to society. You just gotten old, and all you do is take up space and take up energy, your kids' energy. You, you take up uh, things that could be used for other purposes for other people. You spend money. You don't make any money. What's what's going on? You become a distraction. Uh, you you uh, you're in the way. You're a burden, and you're just sitting around waiting to die. That's a sad, isn't it? Now, that happens. Now, I'm not accusing anybody here of doing that. But I'm saying our society does that, doesn't it? To a great extent. We put the old folks aside and say, you're of no more use or benefit to our society. And so we've got a lot of things going on in society now concerning the aged. And one is that uh, sometimes old people want to get a job, and the employer says, "No, you're too old for the job until they get sued because of it. age discrimination. What we're talking about is people that just get so old that they can't take care of themselves. Somebody else doesn't step up and do it and, uh, and be responsible. Now, the reason I introduced that, God never gets this way. <laughs> God is eternal. He is the beginning and the end. He is all powerful. He never gets to the point where he has to sit in front of the window and wait for you to come by. He doesn't do that. But you know there's a statement made in, in, his, in, the, in, the, in the law. In the Ten Commandments, the early law that was given to Israel in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. The fifth commandment, number five. You know what it is? Does anybody know what number five is? honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. And it's repeated for us in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 2 through 3 that says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with your father and mother which is the first commandment that God has given us that we may live long on this earth. Now, I introduce that not to make you feel guilty about not calling your mama on the phone every day or so, or talking to your parents or visiting people in old folks homes. I introduce that because that is not God. God doesn't get old, but He was concerned with the fact that we do not honor our parents as we should. That's what. And so, who is our parent? Our parent is God. And sometimes as we get older, what do we do? We neglect Him. He's in the way. Maybe we'll visit Him once in a while. Sunday morning we'll come see Him. Maybe we'll see God once in a while. Talk to Him on the phone. Call Him up in prayer. Maybe, maybe not. If we don't have any use for Him, if He's just in the way, then this is what it would look like in our lives. I think that's why we have these texts about honoring your father and your mother. When Jesus got here on earth and he came to a people who had this law for centuries, he found, it, and this recorded in Matthew 15, he found that they were not taking care of their parents. They weren't taking care of them. They're saying, hey, whatever you might have been profited by me, I gave it to the temple treasury. And so they, they disregarded their parents. That's the danger. We are God's creation. We, you are great. You are a wonderful, wonderful creation, and you are a child. You're God's child. He loves you so much, for both reasons. And yet, it's possible that we can forget Him. Isn't it? Too busy. We don't go, and go see Him. We don't talk to Him. We just kind of let things go along. I think that's what these texts are there for, to help us remind us of our own parents and remind us of God. Let's think about God. Shall we stand and sing the song that's selected for us?